0: Hey, y'all, welcome back to the Don't Mom Alone podcast. I'm your host, Heather McFadden, and this is the place where I get to walk alongside you and connect you with people and resources so you know that you don't mom alone. And in this episode, number 380, we are moving on in our ages and stages series to the tween years. And to talk about that topic, I've invited my friend, Carissa Lopez, back to the show.
1: I think sometimes what gets lost in those tween and teen years is the delight. Man, it matters so much that we just keep delighting in our kids. Like when they walk in a room, are we lighting up? Are we welcoming them? Are we connecting with them? Because teenagers and tweens can be very like, we can feel very rejected by them, or we can or they're giving off a vibe of like, I don't need this, I don't need you. But really they they absolutely do. Last week, we tackled
0: the topic of middle motherhood, that in-between stage, and this week is another in-between stage for our kids, tweens, the kids who are in-between childhood and adolescence. What's great is they are capable of growing into their own thoughts and ideas and preferences, but not quite as opinionated as teenagers. In this in-between, there is plenty of room for curiosity and character development, if we stay connected to and interested in our kids. So my guest this week, Carissa Lopez, who's been on the show before as Carissa Fry, she's married now for a year. Congratulations, Carissa, happy anniversary. She is a therapist and a parent coach. And she's gonna encourage us in this episode that healthy attachment can lead to healthy individuation. And that process is when our kids are distinguishing themselves from us. She's going to help us see that for the entire time we are in relationship with our kids, they need our comfort, encouragement, and connection. And although we still have authority over them, as parents, we are transitioning out of such a hands-on role in their life. She's also going to help us think through puberty, friend groups, and our tweens' spiritual growth. I always love talking to Carissa. Let's get right to it. Here we go. Carissa, welcome back to the Don't Mom Alone podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Well, we got two tweens in our series and I thought I've had some really good conversations with my friend Carissa about this stage. So I invited you to be our expert.
1: (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I love working with tweens.
0: I love tweens. So let's define because this wasn't a word when you and I were growing up. So what is tween? What age range are we talking about?
1: So, yeah, I think of tweens as like the double digits, but not 13. So 10, 11, 12 is kind of that sweet spot in my mind when we're talking about tweens. And
0: do you feel like it's become a stage and it wasn't before?
1: Yeah, I do. There's because there really is this kind of transition out of like feeling like, oh, I'm a little I'm a kid to starting to flex those muscles of like I'm ready I'm moving on that path towards individuation but I think there's a sweet spot with tweens where it's like your parents can still be their favorite person or like someone that they're really attuned to so it's like when we're in that tween stage we still have that opportunity I think to speak in even more than we do a little further down the line so it's like this in between of like being a kid where we're not In that kid stage when it's like we're really functioning much more as the authority. And then the teenage years when we're kind of maybe moving into more of that like co-role with them where we're kind of like a instead of the manager, we're like kind of the assistant manager coming alongside him. And that tween is that in-between spot.
0: And you said a word that some people may not know. We know because we use it a lot. And my friend, um, our friend Nancy came on and talked about it. Individuating. Yes. What individuating. is this? What is this?
1: So individuating, it is this normal, healthy, wonderful developmental process that we all go through or hopefully. Hopefully. We <laughs> hopefully we go through. <laughs> yeah, it happens several times in life. And one of those is that early, like whenever your little toddler starts saying no for the first time, is like, no, mine. I want to do it. They're individuating. They're realizing. I am a separate being than my mom or my dad. And so they're trying to create some distance there, like make their own choices, do things that they want to do, maybe not what you want to do. So we see it then. And sometimes depending on how successful we are at allowing that individuation of those early toddler years can really dictate how the individuation goes in terms of severity and duration once we start hitting those teenager years. Um, and so that is another key point developmentally where a teenager is realizing, Oh man, I have my own mind. <laughs> this is when we start experiencing teenagers as being like, my parents are idiots. They know nothing and I know everything. And mm-hmm. it's like, there's another signal that individuation is happening where it's like i'm learning i have my own mind i can make my own choices i have thoughts and opinions that are different than my parents i have preferences that are different and so there's that there's that other stage of individuation that's happening
0: and correct me if i'm wrong but i feel like i heard this and i it's really helped me as i've worked through this with my boys is that the typical progression is attached to mom attached to dad individuate from mom, individuate from dad. Is that something I made up or is that a real thing?
1: I get, oh gosh, I'm not sure. There's part of me that's like, yeah, I could totally see that. And man, so much of that is also going to depend on the quality of relationship mom is able to have with the kids and dad is able to have with the kids. Because when we talk about, we're going to talk about attachment a lot today. Yeah. And it is. The big definition, the wordy one is like the neurobiology of interpersonal relationships. And so like basically what's happening in our brain and our nervous system as we're connecting with other people or feeling disconnected from them. And so depending on the level of the health of the attachment between mom and the kid and dad and the kid, man, that's really going to dictate how the child is moving toward or away from that parent throughout the lifespan.
0: So maybe it's an ideal, an ideal would be healthy attachment to mom, healthy attachment to dad, healthy individuating from
1: both. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah, for sure. The ideal is like, yes, we want lots of healthy attachment. We also want healthy individuation, like you're saying. And then there's this return to mom and dad that starts happening later too. That's like, yeah, because we just, we can, I think there's kind of a myth of like, we're going to lose our kids that they're going to turn away from us and like, we're not going to get them back. And that becomes the fear. And it's like, it is possible to maintain a healthy attachment and connection with your kids throughout the tween and teen years. There are shifts that are happening and shifts that we as parents have to make, but it is possible to maintain healthy attachment throughout all those phases.
0: I got it. So that the getting rid of the attachment isn't, it's not an end of attachment. It's an attaching through the individuating.
1: Yes, yes.
0: Okay. I think that makes so much sense. And it's kind of how I've encouraged other moms that are walking alongside me because I'm kind of in the tween and the teen years right now, is Mm -hmm. I feel like if you do allow that process, the relationship on the other side is so rich and good.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And I think there's some really key things that as parents kind of stay consistent for us over time in in terms of our role. And one great resource is called circle of security and schools use this counselors use this. And it's a way of talking about the parent as our role is to be the kind, safe boss who delights in our children and their exploration. And that we're always like a safe base for them to come back to when they need comfort or encouragement or something really scary has happened. And that in general is like, you can carry that all the way through. So when they're a toddler and they go out exploring into the world and they get hurt, we wanna see them run back to us, comfort, connect. Okay, now they can go back out. And we feel delighted when they're exploring it out in the world. The same thing starts applying with tweens as they're getting more independence. We want to be able to delight in that. Hey, I mean, Do we enjoy the millionth conversation about Minecraft? I was
0: going to say, I'm struggling here, Carissa, with this advice. Okay. Okay.
1: But it's like, can we allow them to explore those interests or even other relationships or activities and delight in them doing that and be the safe base that they come home to when it's like, oh, I've got to download You know what just happened, or oh, I'm having this friend difficulty. And it's like, okay, let's talk about that together. So we become the safe base that they keep coming back to. But I think sometimes what gets lost in those tween and teen years is the delight. Mm. Man, it matters so much that we just keep delighting in our kids. Like when they walk in a room, are we lighting up? Are we welcoming them? Are we connecting with them? Because teenagers and tweens can be very like, we can feel very rejected by them or we can or mm-hmm. they're giving off a vibe of like, I don't need this, I don't need you. But really they they absolutely do. And so it's like we as parents have to hold in our mind. They do need us. They do want our attention. They do want us to delight in them. And so it's like we have to hold on to that and keep practicing it even when we get the the big eye roll. And it's like, okay, you can eye roll me all you want. I still want to hear about your day.
0: Well and it's about us doing our own work that we aren't triggered by past rejection. You know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Like sometimes that need to be needed that moms and dads have doesn't allow for this season. One thing that came into my mind, as you were saying, being that place as they go out and explore and they come back and having that delight is where I struggle in the tween years. And I think we're going to talk about this is when there's disrespect or you're like, they're practicing new words that are hurtful that you would never say yourself or phrases or the way they're talking about other people. And you're like wanting to correct and (laughs) direct them. No, we, that's just not how our family works. And it can feel like that's happening a lot. Mm -hmm. We don't talk to our parents that way. You don't talk to your brother that way you don't like, and it can cause you to struggle to delight because it feels like anytime you're with them, it's a moment of correction or you have to like bite your tongue and, and I don't know the good balance in that season. In parenting, we are looking to improve. There's always the I could do better list. And sometimes when you're hiring for your business, you need to get better at hiring So then you hire great people faster. So then your business grows and you get to keep on hiring. So how do you get better at hiring great people faster? Well, you need Indeed. Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed is a powerful hiring partner that can help you Do it all. You're going to find great talent faster through their time-saving tools like their Indeed Instant Match, their assessments, and their virtual interviews. With Instant Match, over 80% of employers get quality candidates whose resume on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job according to the Indeed data in the U.S., Now, one of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes it easier by having these assessments, knowing that with over 135 assessment tests from cooking to coding, you are narrowing in on what makes you the best employee for this job. Even better, it's the only job site where you pay for applications that meet your must have requirements. Indeed is an unbelievably powerful hiring partner. And if you join them, you'll join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. So start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash DMA. This offer is good for a limited time. So claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash DMA. Indeed.com slash DMA. Terms and conditions apply. If you need a hire, you need Indeed. Indeed.
1: Yeah. So one thing to kind of again just kind of hold on to is they do need you. They do want a relationship with you. And so when we approach discipline as appealing to the relationship instead of correction or punishment, yeah, it can really make a huge difference in the motivation that we're eliciting from them. And so. One way we might do that is say, like, hey, I want to have a good relationship with you, and I know you want to have a good relationship with me. And when you said that, that hurt. That really hurt. And I wonder what it'd be like if I said that to you. What would happen inside of you? And so we're appealing to the relationship in that moment um, because, again, it's like for kids to feel secure in the world, they need to have that strong attachment with mom and dad. And so if we're appealing to the relationship, man, we get a much stronger response than like, that's disrespectful. That's not how you talk to your parent. It's like, now you're just being bossy. Now you're just trying to tell me what to do. And there's a natural individuation that's happening where it's like, oh, (laughs) that's what you want me not to do? Well, guess what? I'm gonna do the opposite because I'm gonna try and be not you. But instead, if we appeal to the relationship, we get way more buy-in. I was reading a book the other day, which you can put this in the show notes. It's called Hold On To Your Kids. It's by Gabor Mate and then there's an, another author that I can't remember. And he talks about this concept of like, when we ground our kids and we're like, okay, you've done something, you got in trouble, now you're grounded. And we create a separation from the kid when we ground grounded, you're grounded to your room or away from all this stuff. And he's like, how much more effective if in those moments we were like, you're grounded. And now I have all this opportunity of having you in my home. Where I can get FaceTime with you, I can delight in you, I can connect with you. And like we're really taking that time to build relationship with the kiddo instead of like you're being punished, you are away from me. And it's like, man, what a game changer that would be to use that time to connect and work on the relationship instead of just like, oh, you're being punished, you're being set apart because of this bad thing.
0: I feel like that though requires the child's buy-in, like not being upset because they're missing out on some social thing that they would then like reject you and choose their room. Even if you're like available and ready to connect that they're just out of anger, rejecting you.
1: So here's what I have to keep holding on to in those moments is there's going to be an attachment void. So we as human creatures, we are designed to connect We go all the way back to Genesis one and Adam is alone and it is not good. And the world is still perfect. There's no sin. And Adam is alone and it is not good. So that loneliness is something God created in us. We are designed to connect with him and others. And so when we separate our kid from their peers, we're going to call that there's an attachment void. Mm. (laughs) They're away and disconnected long enough. They're going to feel a draw of like, I hate being lonely. I've got to connect with somebody. And if we can show up in a delighting way, in an interested way, in a, in a warm way, it's like, okay, eventually you will see that attachment void. (laughs) And it's like, keep checking in, keep checking in, keep checking in. And really when that gets there, you're going to see. A sl- it might be a slow like um, opening up of like oh, okay that was a corny joke and I'm gonna roll my eyes but then might get a smile and then eventually it's like okay yeah let's do sit and watch a movie together and then it's like okay that was really fun and now we're like talking after the movie and it's like okay we might see the slow warm-up but keep checking in because that attachment void will show up eventually
0: well and I could see how if you begin thinking this way with the 10 11 12 you'll set up some good patterns for when it gets a little more intense. Maybe I think 14, 15 is harder than 13, but um, Mm -hmm. I think that if you have that mindset of the goal is this connection and a relationship, even if it requires some boundaries setting and some removal of some other relationships that aren't helpful, that you have that warmth in the midst of that instead of this. I think what's surprising about 10 and 11 for a lot of friends is you aren't thinking your kid's going to all of a sudden be unkind at that age. I think in your mind, you think teen, but it's so it's surprising when they're pushing back and on these things and wanting to individuate in maybe not the healthiest ways, but if you can start practicing what you're talking about, I think that would be really helpful.
1: Yeah, I agree because it really does. I think our culture is so, peer oriented, that we push our kids to be very peer oriented, Mm. meaning they're getting their values and their ways of existing in the world from their peers. And it's like, you do not want your 11 year old to be (laughs) basing their life on other 11 year olds. And so again, it's like, I have to keep coming back to, they need their parents. They want their parents. And if we keep appealing to the relationship and investing in that relationship, they really do desire to have that closeness. And so if we can kind of, can like you said, continue to create those patterns, um, it really does pay off and it can continue in the long run. It's like, look at your, you know, in a marriage, we don't just get, hopefully we don't just get married and then we're like, well, gotcha, um, <laughs> whatever I want now. And if, if I spent 90% of my communication with my husband, teaching him, Criticizing what he's doing, telling what he could be doing different, and how I think he's living his life wrong—it's not going to go great. And so it's like, how much of the balance of my relationship with my husband am I like delighting in, appreciating, encouraging? Sitting down, listening to him talk about his day, or talk about a conflict he had, or talk about a dream he has—it's like, okay, I want to be in investing my time in that part of the relationship, um, so that when we do hit the rough patches, there's there's all this good you know, kind of money in the bank that I can draw on. And I think we sometimes lose that with those tween and teen years because we're like, we've been in this role of authority where we're like, okay, we're, we're kind of coaching them, teaching them how to go. And they're really switching into more of a mode where it's like, yeah, and I really kind of will also want to know you as a person. And there's more of a desire to like be able to connect on a, on a higher level. And so it's like, can we delight in our kids and invest in that part of them as well?
0: I am feeling convicted and inspired at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) I feel, I'm really thankful um, for this conversation. You mentioned the friendships and the society and the peer-to-peer. Let's spend a little time talking about how these social groups can be harmful and how we as parents can, maybe steer our kids to helpful social groups. If that's what's needed, you know what I mean?
1: Yes, absolutely. So, and this gets, it, it gets a little tricky to talk about. Yeah. So, you know, when we, I think for a lot of the parents listening, when we were growing up, you know, we can think of the groups that you could fall into and fall into in high school or find a way to belong in high schools, the bands, the band kids, the cheer squad, the student council, the theater kids, the jocks. It's like we had these different groups. And now we have a couple of additional groups. One thing that maybe earlier generations didn't have to wrestle with as much, what, or we didn't have access as much to was mental health. Mm-hmm. And now we have mental health on TikTok. We have mental health on Instagram. We have mental health on you know, like all the social media platforms. And so the number of tweens and teens that I have that come into my office and they're like, they, that will walk in and say like a really extreme diagnosis, like dissociative identity disorder. And I'm like, whoa, where's this coming from? Like most people don't even know that exists, but now we have this proliferation of mental health stuff. And then we have kids that are kind of guiding other kids about what their diagnoses could be. And what I have found is, like, if a child doesn't have a way to belong when they start hitting those middle school years, that mental health group is one of those groups that is very open and accepting. But once you get in, it is real hard to get out because to be in, you have to be struggling. I have to have anxiety. I have to have depression. I have to have like something that I'm really struggling with, disordered eating, something like that. And it's like, then I find my place of belonging around unhealth and dysfunction. And so then as a therapist or a parent, we're trying to get our kid healthy, whole, but we're working directly against that peer group because if they get healthy and whole, they lose their way to belong to that group. And so it becomes this really this cycle that is very, very difficult to break. So that's one thing to just kind of keep in mind. If you start noticing you've got a kiddo that is struggling
0: to find a group, to find a belonging, it doesn't have to be necessarily like they're all wearing the same jackets or something, but like, right. Yeah.
1: So it's like, it becomes really, really important to make sure our kids have a way to belong. And I think especially kiddos that have learning differences, it's so easy to belong throughout elementary school academically. There's not a lot of options. And so if our kid struggles academically, they're already struggling to accomplish this sense of capability and belonging. And so it's so much more important for that group of kids to have other areas where they feel capable, confident, and that they belong.
0: So I think what you're even saying is We're not talking about your child has anxiety, has been struggling through anxiety. You sign them up to see a counselor and you get the treatment that your child needs and the medication they may need. This is something different. They're watching TikTok or they're at school and kids decide for them that they have a diagnosis and then they have this group and then they can't, they struggle to get better because then they lose their friends. And I think when you told me that, I was like, oh my gosh, that makes so much sense It is so different, like you said, from other generations. I mean, maybe the similarity in our group was the eating disorder group. Mm -hmm. There was an element of that going on. But yeah, I think it's inspiring as parents that while we don't make having a group of friends the ultimate priority and over our connection with them or over family memory making, I think it is inspiring that perhaps invite two friends over or if they like, we just are maybe starting Boy Scouts or something that they're loving, that they're interested in and you support that interest in these years.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Just to circle back to what you were saying about the mental health part of it. If you look the kids who get sucked into those groups there's an attachment void with parents okay mine's happening that i'm not okay and the number of kiddos that tell me i've tried to tell my my parents i think i'm struggling and the amount of time it takes a parent to get their kid into therapy or get the or to really listen and get what they're saying in the interim that's when they land in these groups because it's like i am really struggling oh you get it you're struggling too Oh, now I have someone to talk to and I'm feeling I'm filling this attachment void with peers who are also struggling and that's where we really get into trouble. No, that's good and I
0: I listen to you because you're seeing it firsthand. One thing I've noticed with my tweens is they eat a lot. <laughs> they eat a lot. They go from like you're making them eat. Have you eaten lunch today? Have you eaten anything today? To spending so much time in the kitchen cooking. Well, one thing that makes me a little bit happier and with more peace of mind is my caraway cookware. What I love is one, I know that they are non toxic, their cookware and their bakeware. They make healthy cooking a piece of cake. Also, they're real cute. They were designed for the modern home. So they look amazing, and for me in a home with all boys, I love that my set is like this terracotta pink color, and it just makes me happy. You all it's the little things make yourself happy. So they have a cookware set that is modern, chemical free, and you can get a 16 piece set that has a fry pan, a saute pan, a saucepan, and a Dutch oven, all with their lids. Um, they also have a bakeware set. You can. Go check them out. Non-toxic, easy cooking, well-loved. Over 25,000 people raved about their Caraway kitchen. You can too. So go visit CarawayHome.com DMA. Take advantage of this limited time offer for 10% off your next purchase. This deal is exclusive for our listeners. So visit CarawayHome.com DMA. Use the code DMA at checkout. Caraway, non-toxic cookware, made modern. One thing I love about the tween years is how your kid's unique personality starts coming to the surface, their interests, their quirks. I think it's so fantastic that you can start lighting a fire under those interests. Sometimes it can be hard to find a place for them to learn more. And that's why my friends at OutSchool, they help set learning free for your kids. They offer live online interactive classes for kids ages three to 18 with so many different subjects. Do you have a Minecraft lover? They got a class for that. Do you have a unicorn artist? They got a class for that. You want Your kid wanna experiment with edible chemistry? Done. Even if they wanna learn an instrument or get better in acting, drama, you name it, I am guessing they have a class for it at Outschool. And just because every kid has a unique way of learning, Outschool offers so many different options of learning live classes with flexible schedules, learning pods, one-on-one tutoring, and more. I appreciate that they offer help if your child is struggling with social skills. There's so many different classes, whether um, it's a group and they can meet kids from other places, and it can be a safe environment for them to learn those really important social skills and their impact on other people. So set learning free, head over to outschool.com slash DMA, use the code DMA to learn more and save $15 on your child's first class. That's dot com slash DMA to save $15 on your child's first class. outschool.com slash DMA code DMA. Okay, so the other thing that's happening is while there's a range of kids going through puberty, some go through it, are starting to go through it at 10, 11, 12, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Talk to me about that.
1: Again, I think this is one of those areas where I hope we've started early to be the expert in our kids' lives when it comes to sexuality, when it comes to our bodies, when it comes to puberty and development that we want our kids to already have in their minds, like we're the expert. And so we want to be the ones leading these conversations. There's so many great resources out there. We can link to them in the show notes. And again, this is where we also have to have kind of done our own work. It's like, if you can't say um, vagina without turning red and getting all flustered, it's like, okay, who can? I have some friends who it's like, the mom can't have that conversation, but dad can't. He can be real matter of fact, and nonchalant about it. And I'm like, then let dad do it. You don't have to do all the things. Let dad do it. And if neither of you can do it, go talk to a therapist, like get in a room where we can all have these conversations together in a safe way. But yeah, we want our kids to be able to talk to us about these things. I think one of the great resources out there is also turning red, which is, I mean, my boys hated it, but. Right. And that's the thing, boys, I feel like a lot of the boys hate it because they're like, oh, uh, we're talking about puberty yeah. and it is hard for them to sit through. Um, and so you can figure out how you want to navigate that. But when it comes to like sparking some of those conversations, um, again, it's like, we don't have to go do a deep dive right then in the middle of the movie or right after the movie, but it, we're just normalizing. Like we can talk about these things. It can be funny. We can like joke about these kind of things. Like, puberty is funny. Like things that are happening to our bodies, like this is not a bad thing. Like we all go through it. There are things about this that are embarrassing, but we can connect around these things with our kids. And it doesn't have to be this like big, intense, serious conversation. Like a one-time talk. Right. So, yeah. I feel like, again, that's something that's really changed in the past generations. We thought it was like, we are, we had the puberty talk check done. And now it's like, because kids are continually exposed to content from peers and online and just in our culture is like, we have to have ongoing continual conversations about body image and puberty and sexuality, all those things. Yeah, that's good.
0: So with the turning red, I know there's different opinions from the whole parenting side and that she's being rebellious and she's making this plan without her parents' knowledge and going against, and there's a lot of cultural conversations that are happening in that context of the movie that are Mm -hmm. different from other cultures. But talk to us about when, like I mentioned it earlier, they are disrespectful, but also like that concept of rebellion, like you're choosing to go against what, you know, our family has said is wrong.
1: Yeah. I thought turning red was so interesting because it did provoke such different responses across (laughs) different communities. And I think when I would notice like the, the, this movie is about rebellion and promoting it, and then we had other people more that were like hey this is this is some healthy individuating that's going on between a kid and a parent and yes, there's all the cultural aspects too that was happening in that movie in particular um, and so I think it's a good thing to wrestle with as a parent that we need to take a hard look at ourselves and say, man, am I parenting from a place that is a do as I say?" When I say it, if you ask questions, that's disrespectful or you're being disobedient. Because again, like that is not how we would treat a spouse. Mm-hmm. That is not how we would treat a friend. When we're two, when we've got a two-year-old and we're trying to keep them safe, it's okay to be like, stop. But when they're 10, 11, and 12, and they're starting to have more and more awareness of their own thoughts and feelings and desires, if they're asking why, can we shift in our relationship with them and take some time to be like honor their personhood and treat them with kindness and respect and like just noticing oh they're being curious they have their own mind they have their own thoughts and feelings can i enter into a dialogue with them about those things and that doesn't mean that we're being weak or we're accommodating them too much it's a way of kind of looking at it instead and saying, hey, how can I kind of come alongside you? And so when we enter into a dialogue with our child, when they're asking why, it really is honoring their personhood. It is honoring that it's okay for them to be asking questions. We want them to ask questions to be curious. We want to know what's inside of them. We want to know what they're feeling and they're thinking. It really, if we can look at it as a This is an opportunity, once again, to like enter into the inner world of our child and maybe delight in them and be like, oh man, I never stopped to think about why we're doing that. Or I never stopped to think about it from that angle. And it can really be a a way that we're building great rapport and connection with our child instead of the like, just do it. (laughs) Yeah,
0: it can feel really hard. Like, I feel like I have the voice of the school or you know, generations before that are like, don't let them talk back to you. Mm -hmm. They need to do what they're told when they're told. And the questioning is a good problem solving skill. Like I want them to be adults who see what's before them, (laughs) ask questions and solve the problem. I don't want to go with them to college. I've already been to college. I don't need to do that again. Like, yeah. So it makes sense. It just feels challenging for us as parents to make those shifts. And I think having this conversation is just really helpful to maybe even start considering when those conflicts are happening, what's my part and my response as they're growing and developing.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Am I promoting the formation of them as an individual? Am I promoting that or am I kind of squashing it in that moment? Mm. No, I do it. It's like, oh, but why? Could there be some other ways to do this?
0: Mm, it's good. It was really, really good. Speaking about them being their own person on a spiritual realm, as we move from that manager and that authority voice, we want them to have the ultimate, I call it the ultimate don't mom alone moment when they profess faith, when the Holy
1: Spirit lives in them. Talk to us about that. Yeah. So I think one parenting goal that is at the forefront of my mind all the time is. Like you said, I only have them for like 18 years. Hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah. And if I'm the ultimate authority in their mind, what happens when they leave at 18? It's like, they've lost their authority. They have to call me every time they make a decision. We don't want that. And so I'm consciously checking in with my child about the Holy Spirit inside of them. Hey, when you did that, what did that feel like inside? What was the Holy Spirit saying? How was your conscience reacting to that and helping him remember, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, which gives you all the strength and wisdom you need when you ask for it. And you are never alone. Mm. And so one of my, an intervention that I'm really enjoying right now is I got the fruit of the spirit, printed out the fruit of the spirit and had my kiddo put a color pom-pom for each fruit. And then we have little containers. So it's like, I've got one, my husband has one. And then my son has one and we are just catching each other displaying the fruit of the spirit around the house. So when we notice, oh, man, that was a really kind thing that someone did or man, we went to the grocery store and to the pet store and to this place and you were so patient. And so he gets a patience pom-pom and we start noticing like, what are the fruit of the spirit that are collecting in each of our little containers? And then when we notice, man, self-control is really lacking right now, instead of it being like, what's wrong with you, that you don't have self-control. It's like, oh, that's what we need to be praying for. The Holy spirit will work that inside of you. It's not even your job. Yeah, 2.13 says, God will give you the desire to do what is good and give you the strength to do what's good. And so we just start praying about it, that the spirit that God would use the spirit to work that self-control in our child. And it's such a way of like removing shame from these conversations, catching each other, doing good. And again, it's like focusing on the positive and it just adds so much more delight to relationships because you're just noticing all the good things about this kiddo that you're raising. And it's so cool to watch and really notice, like, man, we were noticing at Pine Cove last year, my son came home and he was like, I really think God is telling me to pray for patience." And then we started doing this pom pom thing a year later. And we were noticing there's so much patience, little Mm. patience, going in the container. And we were able to just kind of celebrate what God had done in his life. It was a very tangible moment for him. So it was really fun. So that's, just an intervention that I'm really enjoying right now as a way to like delight in our kids and really help them pay attention to what the Holy Spirit's doing in their life so that we're equipping them for once they're, you know, getting older and out of the house that it's like, they're already really, really in the practice of listening to the Holy Spirit and being guided by the Holy Spirit.
0: That's so much better than when I'm like, no, remember your school said we're going to work on self-control and that, are you having self-control? No, not like (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's how the conversation has been going over at the Mac house. Mm, or I'm like, that's not kind. That is not kind. And so I was thinking even this morning, I thought if I'm always saying that's not kind, I'm not allowing him to tune in. I'm not asking questions. I'm dictating what I've decided is kind or not kind. I'm, yeah. the, I'm the knower. I'm not letting him be the learner. How did that person respond to that statement? Are you paying attention to the, the cues? And, and I'm sure it's like very off putting to our relationship to be constantly told that's not kind. That's not kind. That's not self control. Like.
1: Yeah. And like you just said, like paying attention to the other person's cues. Yeah. You're leaning into the relationship at that moment. Hey, what do you think that does to your relationship with your brother? When you talk to him that way, man, that hurts my heart just hearing it. You know, Mm -hmm. and so we're appealing to the relationship, drawing their attention to, again, just some of those natural consequences, like help them tune into some of those. And then how much more powerful if we're noticing that was a really kind thing you did. And the other kids are perking up like, oh, mom's noticing this kindness that so-and-so did. And it's like, we love getting caught doing good. We love that.
0: That is really helpful. All right. Before we have to go, what are your thoughts on kids in this stage having mentors, therapists, someone outside of parents?
1: So I think this is another way that we can insulate our kids from being too peer oriented, where the peers become the model and the example of the authority. So when we've got, especially when we have an attachment void with parents. So if you are feeling like, man, I'm working really hard to connect with my kiddo and I'm missing it, there's an attachment void. It is going to get filled by someone. And so that's when having a community around you can be really helpful. So having a mentor, getting your kid in therapy that to someone that they really feel like they can open up with, because I think we just have to be aware if we are experiencing that attachment void with our kid, it will get filled. Yeah. Who do we want to fill it as we're working on our own skills to get back to having a stronger attachment with our kiddo? Or if we're in a place where, like, we really can't, maybe we're in a season of deep depression. Maybe we're in a season where you've got another um, just really difficult life situation that's happening. Man, that's when it's so great to have an aunt or a college kid that's mentoring youth or a really solid therapist that can come alongside the kid and speak into their life and help fill some of that attachment void. So it's like, man, there's someone wiser, safe, and kind that is delighting in me, that really knows me and really sees me and really loves me. And that just does a whole lot to insulate our kids from kind of going down some of these paths that we get so afraid of.
0: What are some signs we've said, you've said attachment void several times what are some signs that a parent, cause I'm thinking a parent might feel attached, but the child might not or vice versa. What are some signs that there's not attachment happening, that there is that void?
1: So I think a lot of times as parents we're like, listen, <laughs> I feed my child. They have every opportunity at school. We do extracurricular. They have a house. We go on vacation. And so I can start checking all these boxes and I'm meeting all their needs physically, academically, but if I'm missing them relationally and emotionally, that's where we start seeing that attachment void.
0: And the adult may have never experienced that kind of attachment. So it's like, I've already given you more than I've experienced in my upbringing.
1: Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. they
0: may not even know what healthy attachment looks like.
1: Yeah. And so I think if we start noticing our kids' are becoming so peer oriented that we feel like they really are just completely tuning us out. They really are disconnecting. They really are spending a lot of time in their room. Um, Some of the signs like when that I'm kind of constantly checking on is like, am I seeing a dramatic change in appetite in sleep patterns in interest in activities and grades? If any of those really, if, if I start seeing a combination of some of those going downhill and I don't know why, And my kid is not talking to me about those things. It's like, that is the time that you've got to bring in someone else who can have those conversations with your kid and help bridge that gap. And a good therapist is going to be someone who is, can really connect with your kid and is also pointing them back to relationship with parents as much as possible and working with the parents on their own skills so that they know how to tune into their kid. If your kid isn't sharing with you or they're trying to share with you these like, vulnerable feelings or whatever is happening with them. But if they're feeling shut down, ignored, fixed, um, or like it's just problem solve, problem solve, or it's not that big of a deal, it gets minimized. All these things that we do when we're so busy or we don't know what to do or our own stuff gets triggered, that's when we start feeling that attachment boy with our kid or that's where it starts showing up. Carissa, I feel like this
0: conversation had so much amazing. I just love every time you come on here. If y'all haven't listened to our episode on window of tolerance, amazing. Just perspective shifting. will change the game for you. Play therapy. If you have little ones, we know we already did our series on, but even older kids, um, some good tips. So thank you. We will connect to all of your places online. Um, since we first talked, you have a new last name. So. That's true.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. About a year ago. So moved to office location. So you know, a lot of big things are different this year.
0: That's very exciting. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Always love time with you and hope we get to chat soon. I know we will in real life, but maybe again yeah. on the podcast
1: soon. Absolutely. I always love being a guest and getting to connect. I don't
0: know about y'all, but I really needed to hear what Carissa had to say. I remember interacting with my boys differently after having this conversation with her. It was really helpful For me to kind of shift my perspective, consider our interactions, consider our connection points. Anyway, I hope that it is more inspiring to you and not condemning. As always, I do not want to add more condemnation, but my hope is to just draw you into healthier connection and and relationship with your kids. And it seems like this is a really great age to keep connection going and to grow with them. I'm going to pray over us. Uh, here we go. Lord, I thank you so much that you are shaping and molding our kids as they grow to be adults. And I pray that you would guide us, that your Holy Spirit would guide us in those interactions, that your spirit would bring us that joy, that delight, that we wouldn't have to force it, but that we could um, remember wonder and curiosity in our own hearts and minds and not be bogged down by the busyness that is robbing us of those connections and I pray Lord that we could look and see our kids through your eyes and the wonder and delight that you take in us that we would feel that delight over us as parents and not um, you're not shaking your finger at us or wishing we were different but Lord that you are just so gracious and kind to us as parents and I pray that we would feel that and that we would transfer that to our own kids. I pray for these tween years that they would be moments of grace and learning together. And uh, Lord, I pray over all the hearts and minds of parents that you would ease any fears or concerns that they could turn to you and that they would stay connected in community. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks y'all for joining me. As you know, we try to put links in the show notes for different things that get mentioned in the show. You can always find those show notes over at Don't Mom Alone. I also send out a little note to people on Mondays that includes just my thoughts for the week and the show notes link that episode and some of the things I'm loving, whether it's what we're gonna eat or something that I found on Amazon or a movie I watched. Anyway, I'm always sharing my favorite things in that little note on Mondays. If you want to get one, just go to Olaheather.com. I'd love to connect with you there. All right. Meet me back here next week. It's going to be good, y'all. one of my favorite authors. Max Licato is coming on the show. Adios. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Don't Mom Alone podcast. If you're wanting to connect with more people and more resources to help remind you that you're not alone, head over to don'tmomalone.com.